The first seven verses, this is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah had bore, who Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our great and gracious God, we ask your blessing and your favor upon us this morning as we consider these verses that contain the miraculous gift and miracle of God. We ask that we would join in Sarah's laughter, that we would join in rejoicing in the Son who has come and who has redeemed us from our sin and has given us a place with him seated in the heavenlies. Lord, give us minds that are alert. Give us hearts that are softened. And give us, Lord, uh, faith to believe and to obey. We ask all these things in your name. And Lord, I also ask that you help me to decrease so that you may increase. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. A dear congregation, the last time that we considered the life of Abraham, we saw a man whose sins were laid bare before all to see. The Holy Spirit, and we should praise him for this, has wisely chosen to placard the sins and failures of even the choicest of all of God's servants, even Abraham. So that we might know that what is true of these choice men is also true of each and every one of us. And that is that we are all in desperate need of a Savior. And that even the best of God's servants often find themselves in spiritual decline. Even the best of God's servants often find themselves in spiritual decline. For last week, we took note of the man of faith, Abraham, who was once again entangled in the web of sin, who once again committed the same sin of deceit that he had committed some 25 years earlier in Egypt. Abraham into the land of Gerar, and rather than trusting that the Lord would fulfill his promise, being Abraham's shield, blessing those who blessed him and cursing those who cursed him, Abraham once again failed to trust in the promise of God. Once again. Have you been there before? Where you have sinned and failed and your only response is, here we go again. Once again, Abraham lied. Once again, deceived a king, saying that Sarah was not his wife, but his sister. And here we go again. In the repeat of Abraham's offense, I do pray, though, that we walked away from that servant, not shaking our heads in wonder at Abraham's foolish repeat of sin, foolish disbelief, foolish lack of faith, but rather that we walked away from that sermon shaking our heads in wonder at the sheer grace of our merciful, loving, and kind God who forgives our sins. 
again and again and again and again. He is truly kind to all of his children. And we fall, don't we? And when we fall, like the gentle father that he is, he picks us up. And again and again and again places us back on our feet. And holds our hand as we sojourn through this difficult world. We then learned of the preventative mercy of God. King Abimelech took Sarah to be his wife. And the Lord appeared to Abimelech in a dream. Saying very simply, saying very sharply, saying as uh, directly as he can or did. Behold, you are a dead man. Because the woman whom you have taken... For she is married. The Lord told Abimelech, not only was she married, not only would he be judged if he did not return Sarah to Abraham, but also the Lord informed Abimelech that the reason why you have not touched this woman is because I have not allowed you to touch her. The Lord has prevented Abimelech, prevented Abimelech from laying a hand on the woman who would bear the promised seed. The restraining hand of God was upon Abimelech. And from this, from this we learn that we must praise God, who has not only withheld Abimelech's hand, who has not only restrained Abimelech's hand, who has also restrained our hand. The Lord who has also uh, restrained us, not just from making a fool of ourselves, but from making absolute shipwreck of our own lives. It is God. Praise him for that. It is the Lord who has kept us from falling as far into the depths of sin that we would like to go if it were not for his hand. If it were not for his hand, we would go further in sin than we have gone in our own lives. Praise God for his restraining mercy. I said last week, praise God that the thoughts that run through our hearts and minds are not acted upon. We are sometimes shocked at the things that come out of our own minds, aren't we? How did that get there? We are polluted by sin. But praise God for his restraining hand of mercy. For we are not as sinful as we could be. It was and it is the Lord who has held not only Abimelech, but you and I back. Because we are his but also, the Lord is also holding back all of humanity. Think about those who do not confess Christ, even those who reject God. And yet they too are restrained by God. Because God is sovereign over all of his creation. Amen. The Lord held back Abimelech. And in doing so, the Lord also preserved the genuineness of the promised child, Isaac. No one could question the parentage of Isaac, for as we shall see, he is the son of Abraham, and he is the daughter, or he is the son also of Sarah. And now today, with the Lord's help, we shall consider the, these seven verses in chapter 21 with three points this morning. Number one, the Lord fulfills his promise. The Lord fulfills his promise. Verse one. Then the Lord took note of, your Bible may say, visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. This is, brothers and sisters, this is an amazing passage. In so many ways, what we read in these even first two verses is absolutely stunning. Oh, you're not amazed. Why are you not amazed? It would appear as though what we read in these first two verses is amazing, and yet it's so subtle, isn't it? Since the 11th chapter, we have followed this man of faith. Since the 11th chapter, we have been, 12th chapter, we have heard the promises of God that have been progressively revealed to Abraham. 
we have been waiting week after week in anticipation for the fulfillment of God's promise. Week after week, we are seeing Abraham challenged in his faith. Week after week, we are seeing Abraham waiting for God. Week after week, we are hearing of this, this promised seed that will come. And in two simple verses, the scriptures simply say, and he came. <laughs> and he came. At last, the promise of God has been fulfilled. And it would appear as though the scriptures, they don't accompany the pomp and circumstance of the moment, that, that there should be streamers, that there should be bold words, that there should be exclamation points. That which God has promised has come to pass. As a matter of fact, based upon your faces, the passage appears to be very uninteresting at first glance. Doesn't it? Yes, he had, she had the baby. So much so that we might read right past it and miss all of the wonderful notes that are being struck and sung for the glory of God. Notice, if you will, the opening verses. It is the Lord. The Lord has visited Sarah. Uh, This phrase the Lord took note of or visited is a signal to the reader. Take note. Something abnormal is about to happen or is happening. It is a signal. It is intending for us to say, take note of what God is doing. This is not... Has the Lord ever visited you? Huh? No. And here he is taking note of or visiting Sarah. Often in Scripture, when the Lord God takes note or visits his people... It is for the sake of salvation and it is for the sake of blessing. And so the scriptures say to us that God visited Sarah in Exodus chapter four. The Lord visited his people to rescue them from the oppression of Egypt. In the first chapter of the book of Ruth, the Lord God visited his people during a time of famine to rescue them from that famine. In Jeremiah 29, the Lord God visited the exiles in order to bring them home from their exile. And here we are told the Lord God visited Sarah. Just as he promised he would. And what was the purpose of the Lord's visitation? One year earlier, in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 10, the Lord God had promised that he would visit Sarah. And that she would conceive and bear a son. And God has not failed to keep his promise. He has taken note of this woman and done for her what he has promised that he would do. And dear ones, this is the first note that we are meant to take notice of. God has promised and God has not failed to keep his promise. This may be a passing point for us. Yes, of course, God keeps his promises, of course. But let us not allow the persons whom the promise has been given to and for whom the promise has been fulfilled. Let us not pass. uh, Let us not let that pass our minds. Who has God promised? Abraham and Sarah. For whom has this promise been fulfilled? Abraham and Sarah. Who is Abraham? Who is Sarah? Abraham is a man who was 100 years old. This man whose name was changed from exalted father to father of nations. And who was yet only the father of one. God has fulfilled this promise to him. This 100-year-old man who walks around introducing himself as, yes, I am the father of nations. Where are your nations? Well, God has made a promise to me that I will have a son. Do you know how old you are? How they must have laughed at him. How they must have mocked him. How they must have, uh, when introduced to Abraham or when Abraham introduced himself to them, how they must have said, oh, okay, father of many nations. Where are your nations, Abraham? Where are your nations? Oh, and you have a child. 
born out of wedlock. You are no father of nations. And Sarah, she had borne the, the, the burden of childlessness. Listen, brothers and sisters, not just for 25 years waiting for the promise of God, but for all of the years that she was married to Abraham. And how many years could that have been? It could be that this woman who gives birth to a child, who conceives at 90, gives birth to this child. It could be that she had been waiting for a child for 70 years. It could be that she had been waiting for a child for, in that day when they got married early, earlier, maybe 75 years waiting to conceive. And in that time, and in that culture, women were seen as cursed by God if they were unable to bear children. And the shame and the ridicule that she must have endured while the women all around her are having children. While you hear a scream, while she may have heard a scream or a rejoicing at the sound of a woman discovering she is with child. And here is this woman getting older and older, second by second, minute, hour, day, month, year. And still there is nothing hoping that life would come forth in her own womb and that hope dissipating with every passing year. And then in the 17th and 18th chapter, the Lord God visited Abraham and he visited Sarah. And what was the promise that he gives to them? You will have a child. In one year's time, you will conceive. And what was the response of both Abraham and Sarah? They laughed. They were struck with laughter. One with the, the laughter of wonder and one the other uh, with the laughter of doubt. Because they both considered their bodies to be as good as dead. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 17, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And still, as Paul says in the book of Romans, chapter 4, Abraham did not weaken in his faith. Even though his body, when he considered his body to be as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, he did not waver in his faith. And the Bible says no unbelief made him unwaver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced. Imagine that. 100 years old and yet still fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. In spite of the mocking. In spite of what seemed to be a hopeless circumstance that is a dead body. A dead womb, if you will, even. Abraham believed that God would fulfill his covenant promises. And brothers and sisters, we come to the opening verses and that is exactly what we read. We take all that we have seen, all that has transpired from chapter 11 to this 21st chapter. And, and that is the great note that is being struck. Praise be to God. God has kept his promise. The one who has made these grand promises has kept his grand promise. The Lord took note of Sarah, as he said. And the Bible says, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. If you read through those first seven verses, you see the Lord, God, the Lord, God. And what the scriptures are saying is, God keeps his word. The glorious note that the scriptures are striking is this, glory to God. God has done this marvelous thing. God has made promises and God keeps his promises. God has said it will be so, and it is. What had Abraham done to receive this miracle? What good had he done? What good had Sarah done? That God would be so kind to her. The scriptures have not concealed the sins and fallings and failings of both of these individuals. They have sinned. They've lied. They have at times failed to trust in the promise of God. And yet, they have received a miracle 
of miracles. How? How? The Lord. It is the Lord who determined to shower his kindness upon Abraham and Sarah. It is the Lord who has chosen to call Abraham out of paganism. It is the Lord who promised Abraham a land. It is the Lord who promised Abraham an heir. It is the Lord who promised to give Abraham, make Abraham into a great nation. And there was nothing meritorious in Abraham that caused God to look favorably upon him and say, because you are this kind of guy, I'll do this for you. There is none righteous, no, not one. The Lord has condescended to men, made a covenant with him for Abraham's benefit to raise Abraham's quality of life. What did Abraham do to receive that? To advance Abraham's life in ways that Abraham could not imagine or even deserve. The Lord has done this. The Lord has promised to give Abraham a child from his own flesh and from Sarah the love of his life. Abraham's body again was as good as dead and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham and Sarah could not in no way therefore boast in the strength of their own body. They could not say, we were strong enough. We changed our diet. We started watching the carbs and, and, and exercising more. And they say that if you eat this certain food, it may, it may help the, the process of conceiving. And so that's what we did. And behold, or bada boom, bada bing. No. It is the Lord. Who calls those things that are not as though they were and brings them to pass. All who heard this miracle, who heard what God had done, could not point to Abraham and say, it is because of what Abraham has done. It is because of what Sarah has done. All who heard of this great miracle of God could only point to God as being the source and reason of why such a thing could take place. There was no room for arrogance in the heart of Abraham and Sarah. This is the Lord who has done this. And because he is God, the God who keeps his promises. Dear ones, what the Lord promises, he will fulfill. The Lord Uh, The word of the Lord is dependable because the Lord himself is dependable. The word of the Lord is trustworthy because God himself is trustworthy. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, 10, for as the rain and the snow. And we've had a lot of that lately, haven't we? Come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. God says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing which I have sent it. Brothers and sisters, there is not one promise of God not word, not one word from God that shall not come to pass. There is not wor- one word from the Lord that falls dead to the ground. There is not wor- one word from the Lord that falls dead, not producing the fruit which he has determined it to produce. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah that the Lord watches over his word. Imagine that. The imagery of it is the Lord watches over his word. To see that it is fulfilled. He has not forgotten. His promises. And he will not fail to bring every single one of them to completion. And this may have been from time to time a temptation of Abraham. To believe that maybe God has forgotten. Uh, Maybe I have misheard. Maybe I have misunderstood what God has said. And the Bible says eight times, eight times the Lord has come to Abraham to settle his heart. Eight times the the Lord has come to Abraham. No, you have not misunderstood. 
Eight times the Lord comes to the to Abraham. Eight times the Lord comes to Abraham. And just in case you did not understand, let me clarify what I mean. Eight times the Lord has come to Abraham. No, you have heard correctly. And now it has come to pass. The Lord keeps his promises. Now, what about you, dear believer? Let me say to you, you cannot claim Abraham and Sarah's promise as your own. Meaning this, just because God promised a child to Abraham doesn't mean you can say, I'm going to claim that. God will give me a child as well. Not so. What has God promised the believer? He promises that if you place your faith in Christ alone, you will be saved. And he promises that if your family, the members of your family, if they place their faith in Christ alone, they too can be saved. He promises that if you place your faith in Christ, you are justified in God's sight. He promises that he will give to you his Holy Spirit to be your teacher, to be your helper, and the one who sanctifies you unto himself. He promises to produce good fruit in you as you abide in him. He promises to meet with his people as we gather in his name, as we share the gospel, as we make disciples, as we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He promises to provide for his own. And for our most basic needs. He promises he will not lose any that are his. And that he will take you safely to Zion. And dear ones, he promises that he will return. He promises that he will take us to glory. And that Satan will be defeated once and for all. He promises that we will be with him in glory. And while we are there, when we are there, there will be no more pain and no more tears. He promises that we shall reign with him. He promises a new earth. He promises that everyone in that earth will know him, love him, and that we will be his people and that he will be our God. Second Corinthians 1.20, for as many are the, uh, as are the promises of God in him are yes and amen. Therefore, through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. God has made all of these precious promises. As the Lord has kept his promise to Abraham and Sarah, he will keep every single, and there are many more, he will keep every single one of those promises to his people. Number two, which is very, uh, point one is very much so connected to point two, which is this, the Lord fulfills his promises at his appointed time. The Lord God fulfills his promises. At his appointed time. Verse 2. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. The fulfillment came. At the appointed time. When God had promised at the very time God said it would be, it was. I believe that it is important when we're studying God's word to ask questions of God's word. To ask questions to the text. And the questions that arose for me in this second verse is a very profound one. Take notes. Are you ready? You have your pens and your paper? Here, here's the, the question I, I asked. Why? Isn't that profound? Why? Why now? Why when Abraham is 100 years old? Why when Sarah is 90 years old? Why did the Lord so determine to give these precious promises to Abraham? Only to, speaking in human terms, only to delay that promise and its fulfillment 25 years. Why it takes so long? And this promise was only one of the promises 
that God had promised Abraham and that Abraham would see in his lifetime. It was only one. Of all the promises that God gave Abraham, he's only going to see one. The Lord God had promised to give Abraham a land. But in Abraham's lifetime, he will not live to see the fulfillment of that promise. He was yet living in a land that was not his own. Abimelech said, yeah, you can walk on my land. Go ahead. It's my land, though. But wherever you want to go. And the land that he was walking on, God had said, this is yours. But not yet. The Lord God promised to make Abraham into a great nation. And still that promise was a long way off. Abraham would not live to see the fulfillment of that promise. For the nation of Israel would not even be come the nation of Israel until the 12 tribes are developed. The Lord God promised kings, nations, and that all nations will be blessed by the seed of Abraham. And still, brothers and sisters, Abraham would not live to see with his own eyes the fulfillment of all of those promises. Again, the question we must ask is why? Why would the Lord, from our perspective, delay? Why would he delay his promise for so long? Not, not just 25 years, but all of the promises so long that Abraham would not be able to be blessed enough to see them with his own eyes. And I do believe that the answer to that question of why is multifaceted. There are many reasons why I believe the Lord does what he does and why the scriptures tell us the Lord does what he does. And one of the one of those reasons, if not the first of those reasons, is this. Because he is God. Because he is God. And because he is God, he does whatsoever pleases him. Because he is God, he does what brings him most glory. Because he is God, he does all things according to the counsel of his own will. And we can affirm this and these eternal truths with nods of affirmation. With amens of affirmation. But I believe that we would not be, or at least I would not be, completely truthful if we, and maybe just I, did not confess that more often than not, we wrestle with resting in that eternal truth. Why? Because he's God. Okay. God has made a promise. And it's taking 25 years for just one of those promises to come to pass. But why? Because he's God. Yes, I believe that. But I would be insincere if I did not confess that I often wrestle with that truth. Why wouldn't the Lord just give the promise to Abraham as soon as he promised it? Right? How well do your children do when you say, I will, and they say, when? And you say, when I do. And they are only left with trusting that you will. And how often do they remind you? Remember when you said? You didn't do it yet. My dad used to say to me, uh, did I die yet? Am I dead? I'll get to it. <laughs> I wonder if you've ever thought about that in your time of studying the book of Genesis. Why all the trouble? Why allow Abraham to wait so long? If he wouldn't have waited so long, he wouldn't have gone through the, the difficulty and the trials if God would have just given it to him. Why allow Sarah to endure shame for so long? Why allow all the various trials that Abraham experienced on the way to the promise? We could have eliminated all of that. Why does he save us? And not immediately perfect us? Wouldn't we be a better witness to the world if God saved and now I don't sin anymore? Wouldn't the world come running to the church if they saw this? These are people of integrity. And the answer is 
I believe from Scripture, of why God, humanly speaking, delays. So that we might learn what it means to truly have faith in God. The delay of the Lord, though it may be hard to believe and accept, is ultimately for our good. And for his glory. The Lord's delays, the Lord delays, humanly speaking, so that we might learn to trust him. And in the midst of our waiting, our faith becomes purified by fire. First Peter, in this you rejoice. Others say greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though it perishes. And though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is for our good. In our previous point, we rejoice that all of the promises, all of the precious promises that are ours in Christ Jesus, they are ours. And yet, though those promises be ours and though some of them have been fulfilled, they have not all been completely realized. Yes, we are marching on to Zion, uh, marching toward that heavenly city in Jerusalem on to Zion, we say, but we're not there yet. We're still here. We rejoice at the thought of being there, but we're still here. And while we are here, we long for the heavenly city. We long for the new creation. Uh, We long for the marriage supper of the Lamb. We long for our eternal rest. We long for our eternal Sabbath, wherein there will be no more tears, no pain, no wrestling against the world, the flesh, and the devil, for they will all be defeated. But we're still here. And while we are here, we wait. And we wait with hopeful expectation. But we still wait. And as we wait, we are being sanctified by God. We are being sanctified unto unto God as we are enduring and learning to endure suffering as servants of God. Learning to endure the suffering of living in a fallen world. Learning to endure the suffering and wrestling with remaining sin. Learning to endure the suffering of persecution from the seeds of the serpent. We are being purified. And as we are being purified and prepared for that final day, our eternal glory... Asking, oh, Lord, when will you appear? We cry, Uh, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. The Lord God and his timing is perfect. His what we seem as being delay. Is his perfect, wise, eternal will. God is impeccable. His timing is impeccable. We must trust and become willing to wait. And there are times that we wish that God would just accomplish his promises now. Because they're grand promises and we long for them. But we also want them now. Because we do have remaining sin. Because we do not want to learn the disciplines of grace. We resist and fight against the notion of waiting. Waiting patiently, cultivating trust, learning what it is to be faithful, learning what it means to be absolutely dependent, learning what it means to be obedient to the one who has given precious promises. The Lord would have us learn in our waiting the true meaning of dependence. Just as your children would learn the true meaning of trusting that what you say you will do, when you say you will do it, and yet at the same time, learning what it means to appreciate all the things that you bless them with and even the time and work and effort that it takes to achieve those good things. You make a promise, if you do this, then I will give you that. 
and they work toward it, right? The work has been done. It's been done by Christ. The gifts are ours, and God has promised that they are ours in Christ Jesus, and they will come in due time. They will come in due time. And in that time, we learn dependence. We learn the dependence where we can do nothing but trust. We learn the kind of dependence as, as an infant almost, where, where I can do nothing for myself. I can't prepare my own bottle. I can't change my own diaper. Lord, I must depend upon you for everything that I have. Everything that you said you will give, I must depend upon you. We wait and we trust and we trust and we wait and we wait and we trust. And we may say, but I've been waiting a long time and I'm at my breaking point. I am at my wit's end. We may even say as we wait, I can go no further. I can take no more. I can suffer it no longer. And therein lies the reason why the Lord, in our estimation, delays. God and Sarah, or Abraham and Sarah, you may remember they came to their breaking point. And it resulted in Sarah suggesting to Abraham, forsake waiting for the promise of God. Take matters into your own hands here. Take my servant Hagar and let us be done with this. And Abraham and Sarah failed to believe God. They came to the end of themselves and rather than trusting in God, they abandoned their faith and took matters into their own hands. You who say that you are at the end of yourselves. And can I just say, we have all said at one point or another, I am at the end of myself. You must know that one of the reasons why the Lord delays in our estimation is that you might come to the end of yourself. So that you will come to the end of yourself. It is one thing, one thing to say that you trust the Lord. It is quite another thing to live all together like you trust the Lord. To trust God in spite of what you see. To trust God in spite of how much time passes. In spite of, of the lack of progress that you think should be made. Dear ones. The faith developed in waiting kills the self. The faith developed in waiting batters, bruises, breaks the self. As you wait, the wants of self are being broken. As you wait, the timing of self becomes broken. As you wait, the needs of self become broken. As you wait, the feelings even of self become broken and every other part that is resisting the Lord's will becomes broken as we wait. And that is a gracious work of God. Because wrapped up in self is sin. And as we wait upon the Lord, he puts to death the sin of self in us. What's what's our biggest issue with waiting? You may remember Baruka. From Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Someone said it for me. I don't need to say it. I want it now. God is not waiting on his tiptoes. For every single one of our wants and needs. Running here and there to give it to us. So that we might not complain. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Himself. And take up his cross and follow me. The faith of waiting kills the self. The way we prefer ourself, exalt ourself, etc., etc. Waiting Killing, waiting kills sin and batters the self. 
so that we might not think of everything in terms of only ourselves. We shall learn not just to quote, Lord, let your will and not my will be done, but to live, Lord, let your will and not my will be done. And the Lord may give us things as we wait, right? He may give us some of the things that we are, are praying for, hoping for. And often, it is the great things that we must wait for. And we must ask ourselves in those moments, God, your will or my will? Your will be done. Your timing or my timing? I trust your timing is impeccable. True faith is not wavering, even when it seems like heaven is silent. Because who is the one who has made the promise? It's God. He watches over his word to see that it is fulfilled. Not one word from his mouth shall return to him empty. Uh, Not one word that he has given will be void. He has made his word and his word is our guarantee. Search the scriptures. Go throughout God's word. Find one place, I dare you, where God has not, or where God has said and it, is, it has not come to pass. And when you see all of promises fulfilled, let your confidence in what he has said that he has done and will do. Let it grow. Let it be strengthened. Let the words of David, I waited patiently for the Lord. How long did David wait before the Lord inclined to him and heard his cry? We don't know. But he said, I waited. And I waited. And I waited. The Lord inclined to me and heard my cry. And the Bible says, he goes on to say, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. David learned in his waiting that he can trust in God, that God is faithful. The Bible says in Psalm 25, indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. Wait for the Lord. And you will not be put to shame. Here at last, the Lord God has fulfilled his promise at last, fulfilled his promise to Abraham and Sarah at the appointed time. The Lord knows. The Lord knows. And brothers and sisters, delay makes our Delay makes our pleasure pure. Matthew Henry, though the Lord promised mercies come not at the time we said, they will certainly come at the time he sets. And that is always the best time. Number three, and finally, the Lord gives laughter. The remaining verses of this portion of scripture focus on the sheer wonder and amazement of God who fulfills his promises. The delay of God proceeded or produced pure pleasure and absolute wonder. Notice the response of Abraham and Sarah to the kindness of God. They respond by calling their son, naming their son, Isaac. He laughs. He laughs. Why does Abraham give this name to his son? What is the significance of giving his his son the name he laughs? You might remember in the 17th and 18th chapter again, we have two incidents of Abraham's laugh. He, He laughs in incredulous wonder. And then in the 18th chapter, Sarah laughs in incredulous doubt and unbelief. That such a thing could take place. And she was correct, speaking in earthly terms, she was absolutely correct to to believe uh, in human reason that God would give to two people of their age whose bodies were as good as dead, a child. Yes, she was in human terms, very right to laugh. But the Lord takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And so he names his son Isaac in order that it might be seen that here is a life that has been brought into being by God's omnipotent kindness against all of the forces of nature. Isaac would be, his very life would be a witness to the omnipotent power of God. As he grew, he would be a visible testimony to the power of God 
working against the forces of nature. And, and it also may be ironic that of all of the times that people have laughed at Abraham and laughed at Sarah. Abraham names his son almost as if to say, look who's laughing now. Look what God has done. Abraham was testifying in the naming of his son that people should know there is a God whose word is absolutely reliable and whose power is absolute. In the naming of their son, laughter, he laughs. We are being reminded that laughter and joy, brothers and sisters, laughter and joy, joy, delight in God. They belong to the very essence of the believer's relationship with God. That makes sense. The, the life of faith is, is not always a grim, relentless struggle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And don't get me wrong, we do wrestle. There can be times where there is great warfare of indwelling sin with the world around us, obviously, and the prince of the power of the air. But the Christian life should be one of great joy. The Christian life, we are partakers of the glorious joy that has been given to us by God. It is one of the evidences that you have been saved. Joy. How can we witness to the world in this life if our external expressions are always ones of long faces? No joy. No delight. No wonder. No amazement. This is what the Apostle Peter speaks in the first chapter. Unspeakable joy. Full of glory. The Christian life is a life of joy. Delighting in God. Rejoicing in God. This ought to be displayed in our lives. Some believers profess that they have joy. But it is buried so down, so, so down deep within them. You would never guess that it was ever there. We have been saved from a lost eternity, brothers and sisters. We've been adopted as sons and daughters. We are marching to Zion. We have a destiny that no eye has seen and no ear has heard. No mind can comprehend. There should be in some measure of our lives joy that is ours in Christ. Don't we have a great Savior to sing about? Haven't we been given a destiny that is beyond all compare? God has brought laughter, not just to Sarah, but to we who have been saved by grace. And I know it's very hard to laugh on a Sunday morning when we are waking up and, and trying to, to gather our bearings. But in your life and in your testimony, especially to believer, uh, non-believers, there should be a sense of what you have, I want. Whatever that is, I need. They should not be around us and say, geez, what a killjoy he is. What a sourpuss she is. What a, what a terrible person to be around. They should say, there's something about you. I don't know what it is. It should be the joy. When I was a child, we said, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my soul. Where? Down in my soul. Where? Right? Remember that? Y'all don't remember that. Where did that joy go? Where did it go? The Lord has given laughter to Abraham and Sarah. Their mourning has been turned to joy. They've been given a dance. The son that will birth the nation is born. He will be the father of Jacob, Isaac, who the Lord will change to Israel after wrestling with him all night long. I can't wait to get there. Israel shall be the father of 12 tribes. And from these 12 tribes of Israel, the sons of Abraham will become a great and mighty nation that still endures to this day. Abraham and Sarah rejoiced over their physical seed. But Abraham was also given extra eyes, if you will. To see beyond this 
promised child and see the one, the seed that God had promised way back in the book of Genesis. He rejoiced over Isaac. Yes, he did. But the Lord gave to Abraham eyes to see his greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, your father, Abraham, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and he was glad. Abraham rejoiced. uh, Rejoicing did not begin and end with Isaac. Some of you who are praying for jobs, who are praying for wives and for husbands and for children, your joy should not begin and end with them. Or else they become your idol. And you are missing the point of what God is blessing you for. Not to point to the thing, but to point to the one who gives. Abraham's rejoicing did not begin and end with Isaac. Abraham's joy began and was fulfilled in Christ. It was for for Christ that Abraham left Ur of the Chaldeans. It was for Christ that Abraham believed every single time God said it will be. Out of the 12 tribes of Israel will come one tribe named Judah. And from that tribe of Judah will come one who will reign with a scepter. One who will sit on David's throne, who sits on David's throne forever. He is the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the son of Abraham, who would bless and who has blessed the nations, the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham rejoiced to see his day and did see his day and he was glad. Just as Abraham and Sarah rejoiced with joy. We too have great cause, great reason for rejoicing. For the Son has not only come, but He has lived, He has died, He has risen, He has ascended, He is reigning, He is calling you to faith today. With great joy, the people of God should live their lives to the glory of God. We must be and should be the most jubilant people on the face of this earth. Not fake joy. Is it good to see you? And then go home and have a long thing. I mean real joy. Not learn what my dad used to call Christianese. The language of Christianese. You know how to say, amen, God bless you, hallelujah. But you mean it from the depths of your soul. You are truly people who are rejoicing at the, the life that has been given to you in Christ. Is your joy in him? And what so easily takes away your joy? I'm asking myself. Things so often make me say, Man, I forget small in comparison to what I have in Christ. Small, petty in what I have in Christ. And And here's the other thing. Not only the circumstances of life, the things that are natural, but also the people that we encounter. Brothers and sisters, Let us not be so quick to forfeit the joy that has been given to us in Christ because of circumstances, because of people, because things didn't go our way, because timing wasn't right, so on and so forth. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Some of those, those, what would be considered to be cliche verses that we have been ingrained in our minds should be things that we say to ourselves all of the time. The joy of the Lord is my strength. He who takes refuge in the wings of the Lord shall not, uh, shall not, shall, shall run and not grow weary, shall, shall walk and not faint. We will soar on wings like eagles. That should be joy. Imagine the imagery of, of so, soaring with an eagle. Wow. That is your place in Christ. One of the fruits, again, that comes as evidence of your indwelling presence of God is joy. And is it yours this morning? Do you belong to Christ? Then it most certainly is yours. If you do belong to Christ and you say joy is somehow missing, then I ask you, I encourage you to go back to the place where it's found. Go back to the cross and be reminded of where your joy is found. I ask you to remember the depths of of where you were saved. Recall the waiting and the Lord who heard your cry. Remember the promises that are yes and amen in Christ. Remember the one who has made the promises and the absolute trustworthiness of him. Remember that those who trust in the Lord will never be put to shame. It is impossible to to trust God too absolutely.
Take heart, you who wait. You are waiting for one who cannot disappoint. And he will not be five minutes too long behind his appointed time. Your sorrow shall be turned to joy. And if you are in Christ, it is yours already. Praise God that he keeps his word. If there is one thing that I ask that you keep in the, the front of your mind as you walk out of this place this morning is this. The one who promises is trustworthy. And he will keep every single one of his promises no matter what it seems like, no matter what you see. Not one word from his mouth will fall dead to the ground. It will accomplish that which he has set forth in his appointed time. Let us pray.